Imagine you're at the supermarket. Let's say you're planning to make a stir fry for dinner. What if everything you put in your basket had been produced using the principles of a circular economy? Maybe your noodles are made of a different type of wheat. Perhaps your peas were grown both as a crop and to replace nitrogen in the soil. And your sauce is made from upcycled fruit peel and forgotten herbs and spices. And all of it has been regeneratively produced. Or maybe you're not in a supermarket at all. Perhaps all the ingredients have been delivered to your home. Or you might have picked them up from your local farmer's market. Wherever you choose to buy your food, what if there were no bad choices? What if every bite of food had been designed in a way that helped to regenerate nature? In this episode, we'll meet two companies on the journey to try and make this a reality. Welcome to the Circular Economy Show podcast. I'm Pippa Shorley. Over the last three episodes, we've heard that we need to change our food system to address issues such as biodiversity loss and greenhouse gas emissions. But what's in it for businesses? Over to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's food lead, Rhaenyra O'Donnell. I guess, Pippa, the easiest answer to that is to say, well, with no soil and no nature, there will be no business. You know, we we are losing soil, we're losing biodiversity if we're going to f- continue to feed the planet. We absolutely have to keep the planet healthy. I think one of the big things that's coming down the line is that, you know, the rafts of legislation and costs and policies around organisations' impact on the environment. And if they don't address that, some of the financial challenges that are going to come along that. So I guess there is that piece around saying in the short term, we're seeing increasing pressure being put on companies to make more nature positive changes and to have a better influence on the planet. And that's starting to come with costs attached to it. So by thinking ahead and thinking about, okay, how do we how do we rethink our product portfolio and our ingredient portfolio to start working with farmers and start thinking about future planting seasons, they'll be starting to get ahead of the curve. So let's hear from a business. Founded in 1864, the John Lewis Partnership comprises the department store chain John Lewis and Waitrose Supermarkets, which has more than 300 stores throughout the UK. Benjamin Thomas, partner and senior environment manager at the partnership, explains the value they see. Oh, there's a huge amount of benefits. Essentially, you know, a lot of this boils down to security of supply and above all else as well. So ensuring that, the, that, the, that they can sustain that the practices that they are, uh, that, that they're currently um, doing beyond um, the sort of two, three-year window that we, we might be working towards. So ensure that there's huge amounts of benefits um, from hopefully the farmer, but also from, from our perspective, the supermarket. Um, so we can uh, we can obviously um, ensure that we have a security supply. So there's the, those, those seasonal changes um, and um, those other sort of pressures that um, we see um, that are traditionally uh, made it quite a, sort of a, a peak and trough approach to, to growing and um, supplying, um, those will never change. But it does mean that we can um, hopefully, and I say hopefully, we can stave off some of the the, the impacts that will be associated with climate change and other um, long term um, um, impacts. So there's a huge amount of benefits for all if we get it right, and getting it right is really quite tricky. So what is the company doing to commit to producing nature positive food? So. As a business, we've always had the environment um, at the sort of the centre of what we do um, for, for many, many years. But for a long time, we've um, sort of 
sort of been working with our farmers to understand what more we can do. Very, very conscious that um, everything that we've sourced, everything that we sell has an environmental impact. Um, and also, we also have a responsibility, therefore, to make sure that it's sourced responsibly, but also um, is produced um, in the, best it, the best it possibly can be. Um, we've been sourcing, um, from a waitress perspective, um, all our fresh produce, um, if it's grown in the UK, um, it, uh, is Leafmark. Um, so if you're not familiar, that was um, particular high standards um, for sourcing um, of, of produce to environmental standards. So that's looking at water, soil management, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that's been, um, uh, that's been, we've been committed to that for, for a number of years in fresh produce. Um, but we're also um, looking at regenerative agriculture in a, in a large way at the moment. So what more we can do to introduce more regenerative um, agricultural farming practices in our, in our supply chain. And that will, will support um, a number of um, elements when that mostly around our, our carbon commitments and zero commitments, but also our commitments to, to biodiversity um, as we start to look and think about what an um, SBTN, a science-based target for nature, will be um, for, for, for the business. Um, so there's a huge amount going on. The partnership has its own farm, the Leckford Estate in Hampshire in southern England, which it has been using as a testbed for producing food regeneratively for a number of years. Through crop rotation and other methods such as grazing cattle, the partnership says it's sequestering over 2,500 tonnes of carbon per year in the soils at the farm. Benjamin believes that it's crucial to understand what's going on at farm level in order to make nature-positive food. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the greatest, uh, our greatest impacts sit in what we call tier three, which is down at farming um, level. Um, so, so we're pretty comf- confident that the data that we're, we're seeing, it, it really is around at uh, farm level. So it's really important we, we address everything from the, the feed that the cattle is um, um, the feed that the cattle are given um, right through to, to, to where where that, 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 that crop or what type of crop is being produced. So um, we know um, we know our hotspots, essentially, the areas that we need to improve on, and it's basically delivering on that. But clearly there is a huge amount of impact um, in the supply chain at multiple points. But again, we have to be quite strategic and smart around what we, get, we, what we tackle. We can't tackle all of it simultaneously. So it's really working on, on those major, um, major hotspots. And uh, on our farm level, slash tier three, is where we're putting a lot of time and effort because we know that's where our greatest impact sits from a, from a carbon perspective. While farming is a significant focus for Waitrose, Benjamin says there's a growing opportunity to engage with suppliers about using the other elements of a circular economy for food. He points to Rubies in the Rubble, who we heard from in the last episode, as a good example of this kind of product already on Waitrose shelves. There's loads of um, some, some really good brands that have done really well over the years. Um, so uh, a good example would be Rubies in the Rubble, which you may have come across. Um, so so um, sources um, and so on and so forth. You've got Dash Water, um, who've done a, a great job. Um, you've got Discarded as well, which are um, uh, an alcohol um, business um, that use um, discarded um, surplus um, uh, uh, food. So there's loads of really good examples um, out there. Um, that have um, I've done brilliantly to, to, to scale up um, as they have, but for me there's a huge opportunity to look further in our supply chain and say, well, okay, what what is going on? Where is there potentially surplus? Um, um, if there is, can we support you trying to get that um, 
back into the human food chain. Um, so, you know, that's been a real focus for us over the last couple of years in particular, so what we call whole chain plans, so really looking down the supply chain and understanding what opportunities there are, then trying to bring use that surplus and, and put it back into product or find exit routes for it. Um, we talk about biochemical feedstocks a lot, and that's probably for us the most challenging area, but getting it back into product um, is for us is the holy grail, drawing that that uh, drawing that produce, that surplus through and getting an end market, we see as a great opportunity. Although it's although challenging and really, really can be challenging at times when you're factoring the seasonality, availability and so on and so forth, but um, it is possible, I believe anyway. Another business that supplies a number of Waitrose stores is Natura. I went to London to meet the company's head of food programmes, Rowan Rapson, to learn about the opportunities and challenges of selling food that is radically seasonal. So Natura was founded coming up to 20 years ago uh, in London. We are now a wholesaler, supplier, retailer and manufacturer. First and foremost, we source for flavour. There's been a considerable degradation in the value that people place against food. Uh, and we believe that by sourcing through flavour, uh, we have a trickle-down effect on how food is grown and we can fulfil our overarching mission that is essentially to revolutionise the food system. One way Natura aims to source the best flavours is by thinking about what Rowan describes as micro-seasons, working directly with producers to determine when produce is in its prime. As a, as a grower or a farmer, the weather, the climate, the quality of the produce and the flavour is not as simple as for time slots in the year. So we actually like to celebrate the seasonal micro-seasons, if you like, and the seasonal changes throughout and the biodiversity that flourishes. If you taste... Uh, uh, a perfectly grown in-season orange or a peach, the flavour really is quite radical. And it's that seasonality and that care and love and attention that's gone into growing it that, that brings that flavour. There's no doubt that a peach grown in season tastes delicious. But Natura also applies its ethos of radical seasonality to its processed food items. The company supplies soup to British bakery chain Gales, and also sells a range of deli goods through retailers, including Ocado, Whole Foods, and its own shops. Rowan explains how Natura developed a way to provide great tasting products year round. We recognize quite early on that we, we have to work within the food system in order to change it uh, to a certain degree. And uh, big, big retailers and the food system in general likes to have a consistent product on the shelf throughout the year. Uh, it plays into consumer habits, consumer behaviours, etc. So, for example, we one of our products that perhaps isn't quite so familiar, uh, a mahamara, uh, which is traditionally a, a roasted red pepper and walnut dip of Levantine origin. We, in the summer, we get absolutely fantastic red peppers from Italy. They're sweet, they're luscious. We roast those, we peel them by hand, and we blend it with beautiful creamy walnuts uh, into a fantastic dip. However, when the, when the months get colder, those peppers are no longer available. Uh, and if we wanted to get our hands on them, we would be buying an industrially grown uh, pepper that lacks the flavour and integrity that our summer peppers do. But that left us with the problem of 
One, losing those sales with what has become a, a customer favorite in our range. Uh, and, and two, uh, not keeping up with a regular product on the shelves for, uh, for the retailers that we work with. Those are pretty important problems. So what did they do about it? So we tweak the recipe slightly under the same product name to use a dried pepper uh, throughout the colder months and switch an interchange between the two throughout the year. Uh, we found that that approach actually worked incredibly well. So we rolled that out into a few other products uh, that we manufacture uh, to give us that, that, to stay true to seasonality, but also provide a consistent product. So we've talked about the benefits for business, but as Rowan mentioned, creating a new collaborative dynamic with farmers is essential to ensure our food system works for everyone and the environment. Beyond changing the relationship between producers and retailers, Rhaenyra points to modelling done around a few key ingredients for the Foundation's Big Food Redesign report to explain the benefits for farmers. You know, our modelling in, in the report shows that uh, not only, if, we, if, you, if you use the Secular Design for Food framework, not only is it good for, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions by about 70%, reducing biodiversity loss by about 50%, but actually our total output from single hectares of land goes up massively. So I guess there's that other piece that it says, we've got this hugely growing population and everybody's worried about how to feed, you know, to have an ongoing food system that feeds the population. But we, our modelling has shown, you know, in the UK and Europe and across sub, a, a, a subset of uh, ingredients that actually total food output on the land goes up so, so that you can actually feed this growing population. And I guess one of the, the really important things and why it makes good business sense is, you know, we hear a lot around how farmers are really being pushed to produce food cheaper and cheaper and cheaper over and over again. And what we've seen in our modelling is that by adopting regenerative farming practices because of a demand from business, we see farmer profitability going up by about 3,000 US dollars per hectare per harvest. So I think it's a couple of things. It's a, it's a combination of being very forward thinking around how to build a resilient supply chain to keep your business going, but also, I guess, reacting in advance to some of those challenges that are coming down the line that will mean business becomes more financially stressed. As farmers adopt nature-positive design on their land, and startups and brands like Natura innovate the way they use ingredients, Rhaenyra says it's important for other brands and retailers to support this change and to use their own influence to help scale a circular economy. So we get... <laughs> We get into a little argument, I won't lie, sometimes with business, and they say, well, we're not going to make the changes until the consumers demand it. Now, we know the consumer demand is going up, but certainly not at a rate that we would like to see. And I think certainly not at a rate that people feel that they can afford at the moment, which is, which is a whole separate challenge. But our argument back is this. Well, hang on a second. We eat the stuff that you kind of tell us to eat because you've marketed it to us and we buy it and we believe it. So remarket us something different, you know, teach us as consumers how to engage with a new nature-positive food system through the products that you're selling us. Benjamin says that while Waitrose already has a reputation for selling responsibly produced food, it's vital that this is backed up in its farming and production processes. Obviously, there'll be 
more and more challenge um, as time passes on, on what we're doing, how we're doing it, and what more we can be doing. Um, there's clearly a lot of commitments um, uh, in the public domain, whether that be our commitments, the WDF basket, uh, and so on and so forth. And um, so we have to step up the game year on year. Uh, and I think the customers are twigging and showing more interest in what we're doing and basically holding us to account like never before. Um, so there is certainly an appetite um, from customers. Benjamin believes that it is essential for businesses such as Waitrose to embrace change in order to future-proof their organisations. For, for us as a business, we have to do it because it's, it's, it makes business sense. We have to ensure that we, we, um, we're doing the right thing if we want to stay in business in 10, 20 years. So it's just making sure that we can converse with customers what we're doing, why we're doing it uh, and what it means to them. To create a food system that works in harmony with nature, it's important for businesses to innovate, as Natura has with its ingredients. However, producers and retailers need to support this innovation. But while companies like Waitrose and Natura are making strides to design and supply nature-positive food, they are still on their journey. It might be a complex route, but Benjamin is adamant that nature-positive is the way to go. I don't think anyone's got 100% the answers at the moment, um, but it's working towards a sort of um, a, a, a very more holistic approach. And I hate using that word, but it is very much looking at it from, from end to end and understanding where you can provide benefits um, for, for, from, from both angles, both upstream and downstream. So um, huge amount of benefits. Um, ultimately, um, we need to do it. There's no two ways around it. We, we can fluff around it for as long as we want, but ultimately we have to start making those steps, even though they might be quite difficult uh, and challenging to start off with. As we've heard in previous episodes, individual businesses cannot fix all the issues of the current linear system alone. We need system-wide change. Renera hints at something coming soon that she hopes will inspire more businesses to engage with circular design for food. Picking up the Big Food Redesign report and reading it and thinking it a little bit like, uh, you know, your sort of basis of, of truth and, and a platform on which we, like I've said to you, you before, I think in previous episodes, it's not the be all and end all and it's not the only solution, but it is certainly an actionable framework that they can take hold of and really get that mindset shift going. So there's definitely that. Uh, you know, we've been running a series of webinars for companies to understand circular design for food. And we've had hundreds of people, which gives me great hope that people find it inspiring and exciting and want to re-engage with, you know, how we design food products. Um, but I think, you know, in our in the report, we, we talk about kind of five ways in which businesses can, can kind of help further this agenda. And one of them is around developing iconic food products. And later on this spring, we are launching a global food challenge to really engage the sector and say, do you know what? We think you can do this. Let's work together on a proof of concept around a range of different products. We will support those who want to engage through um, we've got like a learning webinar series. We are going to have a community platform. So there's going to be lots of ways in which organisations who want to take part can be supported. And really excitingly, we are assuring that we will showcase all of the successful products at the end of this through all of our media channels and on retail shelves, certainly across the UK. So sort of hero products that people can look at and use that as a goal to change more of their business. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we are looking forward to learning along the way around what are the sticky 
sticky issues, what's easy, what's not, what, what is easy to change and what's difficult to change. And we will then turn that into some tools and guides and frameworks to take back out to the sector and say, look, you know, you, we, we've done this. We've proved that it's possible. Now we can change the system. In our final episode of this series, we'll be expanding on this and looking at how we can scale change. We'll hear about the role policymakers can play in enabling this system, and from retail giant Walmart about the steps they are taking to bring nature-positive food to the masses. I hope you can join us then. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Circular Economy Show podcast, which was supported by players of People's Postcode Lottery. This podcast is published by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and produced by Skinny Mammoth Media. Thanks to our contributors, Benjamin Thomas and Rowan Rapson. (laughs) 